Welcome to Financial Repression Authority's Roundtable Insight, where the best fund managers, economists, and industry leaders discuss the key investment issues and challenges in the current macroeconomic environment. Hi, welcome to FRA's Roundtable Insight. Today is Thursday, February 22nd. This is host Richard Benulli. Today we have returning guest Charles Hughes-Smith. Charles is author, leading global finance blogger, and America's philosopher, we call him. He's the author of several books on our economy and society, and two I'd like to point out that relevant to uh, our discussion today. One is called A Radically Beneficial World, Automation, Technology, and Creating Jobs for All. And the second is Will You Be Richer or Poorer? And so today would like to uh, continue in our vision series of uh, systems that uh, are, are coming to uh, either fruition or maturity or that makes sense uh, in, in the new era that we're looking for, uh, perhaps beginning in the 2032 timeframe, look, looking positively uh, to, to when things um, may, may get better. And... Uh, so today's topic, we'd like to discuss and focus on artificial intelligence and how, how uh, th that relates to jobs. Uh, is it a threat to jobs? A lot of people are worried. Or is it um, uh, some kind of, a, of, an, of an aid that will help, a productivity tool that will help um, in, in some way? So we'd like to explore that. And... Uh, um, so yeah, Charles, uh, welcome uh, back to the program show, and uh, just thought we'd begin with some of your blog writing, some of the recent writings that you've been doing a focus on in in this space. If you want to uh, elaborate, yeah, thank you, Richard. Uh, the, uh, the the our conversation today uh, was sparked by a, a, an email from a reader of of my book, uh, Get a Job and build a real career, which is already about 10 years old. But even back then I was uh, writing the book with an express purpose to um, provide some guidelines about how to have a career in, in the emerging economy, which, which by that I meant um, the economy that we have uh, today, not the one we wish we had or the one from the past, which includes a globalization and globalized technology, globalized finance and uh, global competition from the entire workforce. <laughs> so it, those are all realities that, um, uh, you know, North American workers and, and all workers around the world have to have to deal with. And so I, um, I've thought a lot about AI um, in, in, in terms of applications. And I actually started my interest in AI back in the, in the 80s when there was the first wave of, of what we would call now as machine learning. And of course, um, it's advanced uh, considerably and since then, and now we have um, these large language models and chat GDP and, um, and uh, huge uh, data harvesting capabilities. And, and, and that of course has boosted machine learning. So I just wanna start out by making a few points and then I'll ask you, um, and you've done your own studies. And, and um, so, what I notice and what other people are saying is that large language models are essentially natural language interfaces. So like in the good old days, we'd have a 
blinking command prompt. <laughs> you know, that was our interface with, with the technology, right? Was you had a command prompt and then you typed yeah. in some, some, some code or scripts. So this is a very powerful thing that, that computers can now talk to us in the language that we use and know. But the fact that they can speak like a human being and, um, doesn't mean that they're actually intelligent. It, it's, it's an interface, not, it doesn't mean they're intelligent. So we have to be careful not to over uh, emphasize, you know, the intelligence just because they can speak in natural language. The other thing is that they uh, are fundamentally a data harvesting, uh, data harvesting approach to intelligence. In other words, they're going to generate, they're going to scoop data in, in, the, in hundreds of millions of records and draw inferences from that large database that would not be possible from smaller databases. And so um, this is the kind of fuel of machine learning, right? And, and there's, there's other technologies in here. So I, I'm not uh, claiming that I'm not this, I am simplifying things, um, but this is sort of the, the, the foundations of the technology that we're, we're discussing today as it applies to replacing human work, right? Huge database um, harvesting, and which then generates um, what we would call algorithms or conclusions that have a, a, a solid foundation in the sense of coming from a very large database. But the flaws in this, um, and, and so we can see the benefits, but we, we have to mention the flaws. One of the flaws is it creates an illusion of, of what I call false precision. In other words, if you've said, well, we've, we've scanned 100 million records and 95% of the time, this, this um, uh, program that scans, um, say, uh, human um, skin variations for melanoma cancers is 95% accurate. And so then you go, well, that's really a very high accuracy rate. And so, but, but the problem is, is that 5% or whatever that number is, because if you are a person who's having your, you know, some uh, tumor or potential tumor scanned and then and there's no human to check whether the the, uh, the program diagnostics were, are actually correct or align with the human's experience, then you could be misdiagnosed by this um, machine learning. And so there's a lot of that potential for false precision where we we're told this thing is, is really highly um, accurate, but it's like the error rate is, is really difficult to assess and um, as you and I, as Richard and I were speaking before the program, there can be misinformation either intentionally or unintentionally that um, can sort of pollute the, the, the data. So how do we deal with that imprecision that's built into these models? And so Richard, maybe you can talk about, you know, that, that, that problem of, of false precision or what do you do uh, with the, the, the unknowns that still exist? Yeah, that, those are great points, Charles. And so uh, essentially, you, you're going to still need a human at some point. Um, and very um, importantly, at, at the end, like some kind of output from the from the um, the LLM or um, the maybe it's a source code or some output of data. It needs to be assessed by some type of human. So that alone right there is a, is a job. So that that could be a, like a formalized job in, in the sense of um, paid employment. Um, so that's one area for anybody looking for for employment. 
but um, importantly, uh, that the the role of that is to assess the accuracy uh, of the data or, or the source code. So, if the LLM is being used to generate source code, the idea is you want to be able to to uh, look at the source code that's been generated automatically and assess if it's valid, if it meets all, all the requirements. Maybe there's some requirements it doesn't meet or it's 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 flawed in some ways. Um, so the, the human would be involved in some type of QA, quality assurance testing activities uh, in, in that sense. So that there's, there's work to be done uh, on that way. But the, to your point earlier as well, in terms of the false precision, um, the idea that uh, somebody could intentionally put in false data, uh, you know, maybe I think you brought up the example uh, before we started our, our discussion on, on um, like rewriting history. Somebody could put in uh, a different version of history that is not accurate. And um, maybe one of the fact checkers comes and uses that LLM, the chat GBT, and says, hey, I, I checked it. It's it, chat GBT, the LLM gave me this output. So therefore it must be accurate. But but no, it, what happened is somebody put in that that false history and uh essentially garbage in, garbage out. Um and it it could be anything. It could be um, you know, also it could be sort of unintentional in the sense that uh maybe somebody is doing some some research and they're trying to find out about something, but they don't put in um, an accurate mapping of something to something. They're just trying to check if that if that mapping exists or that correlation exists. Uh, and by just the very fact of asking that question, that data goes into the into the database, uh, in, into the data um, warehouse, if you will, of, of the LLM. And eventually, later, somebody will 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 um, get that as an output. So, is that accurate? No. I mean, it was just somebody's question, or they they were thinking there was a link with something else, but there isn't. So, there, there's all kinds of scenarios on this that just necessitate the the need for for a human uh, to to intervene to either look it over, do some testing, Q, QA, assess if it's accurate or not. Um, and, and the assessment process is quite complex, right? From a human, um, it, it could bring into disciplines, uh, that are multidisciplinary across different areas, like legal, uh, regulatory compliance, maybe some IT knowledge. Um, so that's, that's hard to, to do, right? Um, but, but I mean, there are advantages, there, there are positives to this, um, and it's it's more of a, a tool for productivity, and it's more of um, of an aid that that can help in in doing you know whatever you're doing in terms of jobs. Um, Charles, you mentioned you see it more involved in the service sector, right, rather than sort of physical uh, part of the economy. Yeah, the um, yeah, and I think you're right in in calling it a tool and and suggesting what we're suggesting is humans are still the error. <laughs> 